Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. a good day to be in church. Listen, there are moments that it, it is important that we celebrate our family. Yes, that we, that we celebrate what God has been doing here. And I just think there's no better day than a baptism Sunday to be able to celebrate people's stories and what God's done in people's lives. And some of you are here and maybe you've only been coming for a couple of weeks and you think, yeah, that's going to be my story too. And we're so excited uh, about what God has done and what he's going to do. And I think, um, you know, on an anniversary Sunday, and I'm looking at all this confetti. I told you this the last time we did this confetti. I feel like great angst about it. Oh, it's like a bedroom that has not been cleaned up for a long time. If you think I'm feeling angst right now, pray for Gwen. She uh, may need her hand, hands laid on her after the service. Uh, the question is, though, um, as, as a church, we, we've seen God do great things. But how do we continue to allow God to breathe vision into us as individuals and collectively as a church. And that's kind of the question I want to ask this morning. Uh, I think in some ways this is counterintuitive, right? Because you think that, like I think for most people, like if you've seen God do one thing, well then it would seem as though it would be easy to continue to believe him for other things. Except for, this is not true in real life. How many of you have ever gone on a weight loss journey? You don't have to raise your hand. Or an exercise journey, like a journey where you're like, I am going, to, I, about every year I tell Dave I'm going to become a, a bodybuilder. I know this is redonkulous, but I do have this um, penchant for making. Okay, so if you've ever done any of these, you get to your goal. And it would seem, it's, of course, if you get to your goal, it would seem like, of course, you're going to carry on, right? And, and make new goals. But in fact, we all know from real life that this is not true, right? You hit your goal and you party and then you eat cheesecake for the next four weeks, which then sends you back. Now, I'm not speaking this in faith over any of you. I'm just saying that this is sometimes what happens. Think about it in like debt reduction. You, you're going to like do debt reduction. You're going to like cinch your belt and you're going to pay off all your debts. You pay them all off. You call into some radio program. You shout and scream about it. <gasps> and then stats tell us that... Um, you end up in debt. Now, I'm, I'm not saying this is the Jesus way. I'm just saying that it's the human way. We end up in debt again and thinking, how did I get here again? Okay, so what I'm saying is, even though we've seen God do miracles in good things, if we are not careful, we can easily go back to the way that we were. If we don't allow God to breathe vision, continually breathe vision into our hearts as individuals and into us into our hearts collectively, the tendency for humans is to go to apathy. As humans, we have a tendency towards entropy. For all of you science people out there, I like to... <laughs> at, at more and more chaos. So 
knowing this, we have to be more and more intentional. We have to continue to be intentional. And I think on this anniversary Sunday, I want to call us to intentionality about the vision that we're living in God. And today I want to look at a story in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 starts the story of Abram. And you see that in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram and he says, listen, Abram, I'm calling you to a new land. You're going to move. And Abram um, picks up and he moves and it's this, and he says, you're going to be um, the start of a nation. You're going to be the father of many nations. And uh, Abram says yes to God, yes to the call of God. He doesn't have children, but he says yes to God. And then in Genesis chapter 13, we have this story about how he and his nephew come to this land. And we talked about this a few months ago. If you haven't caught this message, you can catch it on our podcast. And, and on, in Genesis chapter 13, um, Lot, his nephew, is a brat and takes the better land. And Abram's kind of got to take the <laughs> second class land. And, you know, the struggle is real. And we talked about this, how as a human, it would have caused great angst. But then we come to chapter 14. And in chapter 14, it's a chapter that we often overlook. Abram is painted as this great warrior. And I want to read just a couple of verses from this. It says, when, uh, what happened is, let me just set it up. What happened is, uh, Abram and his uh, nephew Lot are living, just uh, Lot's living outside of Sodom and Gomorrah, these towns, and he gets captured. And Abram, um, the Bible says, goes basically on the warpath to get his nephew back, because that's the kind of person he is. And it says in Genesis chapter 14, verse 14, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack, and he rooted them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with women and all the other people. It's interesting, then he goes to a priest, and the priest blesses him and says, you are definitely called of God. Okay, so now, I, I think sometimes we read this chapter and we read it and go, oh yeah, like a lot of people are warriors. Like oftentimes, now listen to me, I know there are a lot of amazing people sitting in this um, auditorium this morning, but I, I want to say that probably none of us have had the level of success that Abram has. So it says that in his household, like living in his household, he's got 300, almost 400 men who are trained warriors. Now, so you're going to go home this afternoon to maybe eat chicken or roast beef. I'm, I'm going to probably go out on a limb and say none of us has 318 people just at our disposal ready to take down nations. Okay, this, this man is wealthy beyond wealth. And he's the kind of guy that's going to go and like lay, try to uh, lay down his life for his relative. So he's both got great character. He's a warrior. He's got good uh, strategic skills. And it's very interesting to me that the story uh, doesn't end here. God is not done. God does this amazing miracle. None of his men are lost. He brings back all the goods. He was fighting, by the way, about five armies. So he was outnumbered. Like crazy. And it's this major miracle. Now the tendency, if we were reading a story, would be like, and Abram brought everything back, and he is now a warrior, and he wins. End of story. And really, in some ways, um, that, that would have been good enough. Like, great, God did something. This man was a good man. He had lots of character. But God isn't done, and we know this from Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read it in a second. I want to suggest this morning that some of us 
are living in Genesis chapter 14 in our lives. We've seen God do miracles. We've seen God do good things. And I want to suggest this morning that some of us have just decided to end the story at Genesis chapter 14. I, I want to suggest this morning that as a church, we could be living at the end of Genesis 14. I, I, I know that our story is beautiful, that God brought two churches together. And many of you have come to Jesus over this last year, and it's been amazing. But I want to suggest that we are just at the end of Genesis chapter 14. That God is not finished with us yet that he has more vision to breathe into us, that he's got more miracles to do. And, and I want to say that I am so thankful for what God has done, but I am not content to just sit and say, well, this is the end. And maybe you're here this morning and God's done extraordinary things in your personal life. In your family, we heard stories and testimonies of people who God has transformed. But I want to say that God is not finished with you yet. So Abram, in Genesis chapter 14, brings all the people back. And then in Genesis chapter 15, this is what God says to Abram. It says, after this, it's interesting that the Hebrew there tells us that, that when God speaks to him, it's directly connected to the miracle that God did in the last chapter. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. I think this chapter outlines exactly how God breathes vision after a miracle's happened. Um, it's interesting to me that God uh, says to Abraham, do not be afraid. After this, God came to Abram, and the very first words he spoke to him were, do not be afraid. Now, of all the people in the Bible, of all the chapters that God's going to speak, do not be afraid. I don't know. Abram had just taken on five armies and re I, it doesn't strike me as a person who's, like, very afraid. So the question is, why did God speak, do not be afraid? He wasn't, like, a fearful kind of person. And I think this tells us a lot about the human condition. Because God knows that even though many of us have seen the miracles of God, that many of us, and that Abram himself was still bound in fear, you see, fear will always be the greatest enemy of vision. It will always be the greatest enemy of forward movement. Because oftentimes, when we've seen God do miracles, we think things like this. Well, like, I don't, I don't want to ask for too much. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't really ask for that big of a miracle because, like, what if I say it out loud and then it doesn't happen? Have you ever, any of you ever lived with that? Like, what if I say, like, I feel like God is saying this, and like, then. And so we get bound up in fear. And fear will always, will always take us to the shores of mediocrity. Fear will keep us bound and in, on the, uh, the island of mediocrity. And I, I will say that until we confront fear, that there's no going off that island. We'll always be stuck. And this morning, I want to call us to be people as individuals who say no to fear and yes to vision 
who say no to fear and say yes to the things of God moving forward. I want to ask you this morning, where in your life are you caught in fear? Some of us have made a lifestyle of fear and we call it our personality. We say things like, I could never do that because like, this is not how I am. Do you know, I just not how I am is like the greatest um, trick I think that the enemy brings to us. I'm not saying we don't be who we are, but I am saying that we've got to get real about how we, um, how we shape or how we allow ourselves to be shaped. I've told you this before that um, for most of my growing up life, I was very shy and I'm still very shy. Like I, when I first started pastoring, I used to keep like a little piece of paper in my back pocket. I don't know what I was going to do with the piece of paper in my back pocket, but anyways, it would have like five questions on it in case I got stuck and didn't know like, it was like a great fear of mine. Like I was going to somehow go out in the foyer and have nothing to say. And God's, and I know that you're in this crowd right now going, there's no way you're shy. There's no way at all. But I will tell you, my family, I'm never called the pizza person ever. If you're a pizza person, Chase wants to see you. I'm afraid to call you. Uh, and <laughs> I, like, listen, the Lord's had to work in my heart this way. Because I was determined that fear was not, I, I couldn't let fear keep me back. Now, maybe for you, it's like a totally different fear. Maybe you have fear of, like, stretching for that promotion, and it's held you back from being what God has called you to be. Maybe you're a university student, and you're afraid to say, I, I think I could apply to this program or that program. I want to call us to uh, say that we're not going to be afraid, and this is why God speaks to Abram. Don't be afraid. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not preaching some kind of watered-down humanism, because in our own strength, listen, n- none of us can kick fear in the face we actually need the Spirit of God to breathe on us and say, do not be afraid. But to do that, we're going to have to stop for a few minutes and hear the voice of God for ourselves. Allow Him to breathe that in us. The amazing thing about following Jesus is that it's not just some self-help program. This is what we're talking about. It's the living and real God breathing on us and changing us and transforming us into different people. So God says, don't be afraid, Abram. He's had this great miracle, and then he says, don't be afraid. You could be in the middle of a great miracle, and you still need to hear the voice of God saying to you, do not be afraid. And then Abram says, uh, then the Lord says to Abram, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. And I, I do know that this is intimately connected to the last chapter, chapter 14. Abram, God reminds Abram in the middle of this that, listen, I am, your, I am the one who protected you. It's not your great skills. It's not your great brain. It's not your great uh, ability to be able to commandeer your 380 men. I am your shield. And the Bible says that Abram got all the spoils of war. He got everything. And God reminds him in that moment, listen, Abram, you might have gotten all the things, but it's ultimately me that's your very great reward. And, and this is important for us to understand as we go forward in vision, because it is human to start to begin to believe, well, aren't we awesome? This was basically us that did this. We have like a really good community here that can do all the things and people are really nice. Other churches, they're mean, but not us. They're super super duper nice. 
And this is the antithesis of the gospel. And it's the antithesis of vision going forward. If we're going to get vision, like God-sized, if you're going to get a God-sized vision for your life, you've got to decide right here and right now that it is God who is your provider. It is God who is your protector. It is God who will take you forward. And if we begin to believe that, it changes the way that we live because it's not based on you anymore. So when you get up on Monday morning and feel crazy and look crazy, I'm not suggesting you look crazy. I'm suggesting I look crazy. Oh, and when you get up, listen, you don't, you, you, you don't give up. Because you know that it was never you in the first place that did it. When I, when I feel like I don't have enough in my tank to give, I realize that it's God who is my shield and my very great reward. And this is how it keeps the level, the ground level playing ground. How I can talk, right? How I can get my words out. <laughs> See, the problem begins in, in communities when we start to think, well, you see that, that happened there? That's really because of all the spiritual skills that I have. I have a lot of skills. And I have been working, this is, and, and then we get people that are like way up here, like fancy folks and like all of us that feel regular, like some are like, I don't, I don't even think I can contribute to this. Remembering that it is God who is our shield means that anybody whosoever will can be part of this that there's no uh there's no hierarchy in the kingdom of god that we all have a part to play that god can breathe on all of us that he can use all of us this changes everything because it means that wherever you are in your life right now wherever the circumstances of your life find you god can breathe vision to you finally this I think that God God comes to Abram he says I am your shield I'm your very great reward the third thing is this when God gives us vision he doesn't let us get stuck in our natural circumstances so it's interesting the way that God breathes this vision to Abram he says to him listen you're, you're going to have a child and then he tells him Go out and count the stars. It's this beautiful, poetic metaphor that God gives to Abram. Count them if you can. Now, realistically, God could have just said to Abram, listen, okay, I'm going to give you a vision for your life. Here's the vision for your life. You and your wife, Sarah, you are to get busy on this day. And you're going to have a child, and here's how it's going to work. But God doesn't speak that way to Abram. He speaks in this very beautiful and creative and he gets his eyes off his circumstances and on to his creator. Do you understand this? That he doesn't, he doesn't say, listen, Abram, you're going to have a baby. You don't have a baby right now, so I'm going to take you to a nursery and show you all the babies that you don't have. No, he says, I, I, you're going to have a baby. I want you to look at the stars and count them if you can. You see, our God is a creative God. He's a God that un wants to unleash our imagination. And this is the way he works. And I, I want to suggest this morning that whenever God breathes vision, he gets our eyes off our natural circumstances and asks us to dream a bigger dream. And so I want to ask you this morning for your own life, what God dream are you envisioning right now?
where has God given you a vision that you can't shake, that you can't, that you're getting up in the morning and saying, God, I'm chasing after you, the one who gives us vision. I'm convinced that sometimes we get stuck because we keep our eyes fully focused on what we do not have. Some of you came in here this morning with great burdens, thinking about the snow tires you couldn't afford to put on your car. <laughs> Some of you thinking about the industries that you're in and the political situation we find ourselves in, and it all feels heavy. Some of you came in thinking about the community you do not have and the friends that you're asking God for that it feels like you don't have. Some of you are, are consumed thinking about the spouse you do not have, the money you don't have, the family you don't have. And you sound a little bit, like if you're honest with yourself, it feels like a little bit like, uh, like Abraham, how he was saying, listen, God, I don't even know. Like, what do you mean? Don't fear. What do you mean? I'm your shield and your very great reward. I don't even have any kids, God. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like right now, all I've got is this guy named Eleazar and he's like some guy from Damascus and I'm not even from there. Like you can hear the whining in his voice. And in some ways, it's legitimate. I'm so glad that God doesn't come to him and say, hey, you're out because you whined. Because if that were the case, we'd all be out. Instead, God lifts his head. The Psalms tells us that God is the lifter of our head. That he gets our eyes off of our problems and instead lifts them up and says, I am your creator and I can get you to where you're going. You only have to trust me. This morning, just as we're here, I'm just going to ask you to lift your eyes to Jesus for a moment. And I'm believing that in this minute, that God's going to breathe vision to many of you again. Many of you have, have walked years without real vision, or, or maybe you saw God do miracles in your family and in your life, and God says, I want to breathe more vision. I am not done with you yet. And as he lifts our eyes off our problems, God is able to breathe on us again. And I believe in on this anniversary Sunday, that God is not only, he, he is not, he is a God of, and of an individual, but he is also the God of the collective. We see this all throughout the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. You cannot do this thing called Christianity on your own. It's not biblical. It's not how God designed us. He designed us to dream and vision together. We're in this together. We need each other. And I'm believing that on this one year anniversary, God has done miracles amongst us. Amazing miracles, miracles that I tell people about and they think, I, do, I can't even imagine this. But I believe he's not done with us. I believe he wants to do more miracles. I believe that what we saw this morning is just a taste of what he wants to continue to do. And we all get to be part of that.
And Pastor Dave and I, we were uh, praying a little bit this week, a lot bit this week. But we were asking the Lord, what is it that we could believe God collectively for? And here's just a few things that we believe that God is breathing into our spirits. And I'm praying that, that these things would resonate with you as well. We're believing that over the next number of years that a thousand people would come to Jesus. Listen, uh, we live in a city of 1.3 million and there are thousands of people that need Jesus. We don't think that we're the only church. There's lots of great churches, so many great communities to be part of, but I think that collectively we could believe for a thousand people to come to Jesus, lives to be transformed. This is not about numbers. This is about lives being changed for the gospel, yes? I believe that we could give 250,000 personal invitations to people in our city. That means that we get a passion as a collective group to say, man, the things that Jesus has done in my life, he could do in other people's lives. And we're believing God for that. We're believing for uh, an increased outreach efforts to meet the felt needs. I, I think God has called us to reach into the margins, just like you said this morning, Jessica. God's called us to go to the gutters. That's just part of the gospel. You can't read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and not get that. I think of our deaf community that is uh, growing. If you sit in this section, sorry, you got to sit further back now. That God would help us to reach marginalized people. Because whenever historically there's been a great move of God, you can't get away from the fact that God uh, always starts with the marginalized. I don't know why that is, but it is kingdom math. It's kingdom. So as a church, could we be the kind of church that reaches people that feel lost and forgotten by society? I think we can. We're believing that God is going to um, help us have 80% of our church in small groups. Because when life happens, you need people. We need pe You cannot do this on your own. We believe that God hasn't called us just to create uh, an environment where people just come for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, but a place where people belong, where they actually feel like this is home, like people care about them, like if you're sick. And as we grow, that becomes harder and harder to do if you're not in a small group. So we're believing that God's going to just put a hook in people's jaws, that Pastor Gifty's going to be overwhelmed with people saying, I want to start a small group. I I'm going to just overwhelm her inbox. Send her a million emails this week. Hey, but I, I think God can wake you up in the middle of the night with a creative idea that none of us have ever had before to reach people that God's never reached, that, that, that have never been reached before. There's all kinds of subcultures living in our culture, and those people, uh, many of them don't come uh, to church or don't have a place to belong. Why couldn't God use you? Why couldn't he speak to you? I think he could. We're leaving for 80% of our church family to be engaged in serving because we understand this, that when you serve, you grow. When you serve, you grow. And many of you already are. This is such a wonderful community to be part of. But I, I am believing for an increased, like, urgency to serve with in your gifts, serve the body of Christ. And this is what makes us strong. And finally, we're believing for a world... Um, for a very specific um, call to reach the world. When we first came to Calgary, the Holy Spirit spoke to Dave, both Dave and I and said that um, 
We were to create an environment where the nations could come and where we could go to the nations. And I believe that God is doing that. We see, we see that. We celebrate that more than 30 nationalities, more than 30 countries of origin our, our church serves now, but we're believing for an increase in that area. And that means that we have to have awareness about the world. And so we're believing that missions teams are going to go from here. And listen, all, all of these things happen because God breathes vision into people's hearts and minds. None of this happens because Dave and I sit in our office and say these 17 things are going to happen. None of them are going to happen unless God breathes on them. Unless God breathes into your heart and spirit and says, yes. Across the house this morning, can I just ask you to stand? I, I'm believing. Just we're just gonna pray, and we're gonna believe that God's gonna breathe vision into your heart, into your life, and that as He does that collectively, that we're gonna become a church of vision. That people come inside this place and say, "This is a place of home. This is a place that I know has vision for the future." There's something awesome about being around people that have a vision for their life. You get around people like that and you think, I, I, can, I can do anything. I'm just believing that God's going to breathe on you today. God's going to show you exactly where he wants you to go, what he wants you to do. It's going to be very clear and it won't matter what miracles he's done before. He wants more in your life. So Jesus, all across the house today, I'm praying for vision to be birthed in people's lives. I'm praying that people would take your hand, God, that you would give them clear directives. Like Abram, God, that we would be people that follow hard after you in every area of our life. God, right now, we just uh, pray for the person that's come this morning that maybe has never made a decision for you. God, I pray that in this moment that they would say yes to you. They would say yes to an adventure and a life with you. God, I thank you that we're able to do that. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to live for Jesus. But today you want, you, you're saying to me, Jess, I want to live the kind of life that's full of vision. I want to be connected to the things of God. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. If you're here this morning, just raise your hand just so that I can see you and pray for you. Yeah, yeah, all over the house. Yep, yep, hands being raised all over the place. So I'm just going to ask for the sake of the person on your left and your right that you would all pray this prayer. This is the best thing that can ever happen to somebody that they can say yes to Jesus. So can we pray this prayer together? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I put my hand in his. I say yes to you, Jesus. I say yes to walking with you. I turn from the things in the past. I thank you for your forgiveness in my life. Help me to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to us today. For more information about who we are, head over to myjourney.church or look for us on your favorite social media outlet.